Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we will be continuing our devotional series, The Gospel According to Zechariah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Hello, I hope you're well this morning, and let's, uh, let's continue our devotionals through Zechariah. We're just coming to the end of chapter 8 this morning, and it says this in chapter 8, verses 20 to 23. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord of Heaven's armies and ask for his blessing. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew, and they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We're coming to the end now of a chapter which has already laid out so much hope and optimism for the future. It's given a challenge and a charge to those who hear it. And now we come to this amazing promise. And the promise becomes even more amazing when you both look back before it and then look forward to after it. So let's first look back. Let's just consider that God's people up to this point are almost entirely Jews, almost entirely from uh, the line of Abraham. Now there have been a few people uh, who have who have come in and who have joined God's people, like the Book of Ruth, for instance, is about a Moabite, a Gentile, who becomes part of God's people. And there's a few other um, Gentiles who become part of Israel through the Old Testament, but it's it's certainly not a major theme. And when you look at some of the uh, expectation in the Old Testament, it seems quite odd really i mean a lot of the psalms talk about all the nations being called to praise the lord we certainly have a theme certainly even in the first five books it's a big theme that there is not many gods for each nation and we in israel serve you know our our nation's god no it's our god yahweh is the god over all the world and we worship him and even that itself kind of raises the question of well why aren't the other nations worshiping him why do the other nations have their own gods you know, Genesis 1 sets out that this one God is the one who created everything. It seems universal, but why is it so particular? And so really, worshipping with God's people means worshipping people from the same, uh, worshipping with people from the same family line. There's no kind of mixture in it. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's bad. That was clearly God's intention for that time. But there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect there. Meanwhile, you get, well, well, rather, you, you move on then, you get to a promise like this, and it talks about all the nations flowing in, and it's not just a hope like it is in many places, or even just a, it would seem more consistent if that did happen. It's now a promise coming from God that the Gentiles are going to flow in, that non-Jews will become part of God's people. And the thing that's perhaps most surprising is it's not saying that many Gentiles will flow in so that, you know, you look around, you'll see one person who's a Jew, one person who's a Gentile. Um, no, it says 10 Gentiles will grab the sleeve of one Jew and say, let us go with you. Now, I'm not saying that there's an actual one-for-one comparison here. I'm simply saying that, uh, or rather, it's, it's you know, one for 10. 
I'm simply saying that clearly that Zechariah is viewing this as many, many. It's it's multiplication and multiplication, not just my Jewish friend is bringing his Gentile friend along to synagogue worship. It's they are flowing in. Many are flowing in. It's a picture that God is going to draw lots and lots and lots of people in. I mean, put it like this, there's 114, uh, sorry, there's 14 million Jews in the world today. There are 2.32 billion Christians. God has gone over and above the um, that uh, uh, one to 10 ratio. And so th- when I say let's, let's think about how this promise then unfolds, we have this amazing reality. We can say, you and I, we are probably all Gentiles. We are reading ourselves in this passage. We ourselves are the fulfillment of prophecy. We are non-Jews. We're not from the line of Abraham, yet we've been brought in. We have gone and we want to walk. We're saying, let us walk with you. We've heard that God is with you. We found truth in these scriptures, in these uh, documents that exist 4,000 years, you know, were started to be written 4,000 years ago. And now granted, there's been 2,000 years of it uh, going out and going all over the world and certainly a 1,000 of it having a strong base in this country. But nonetheless, on the grand scale, we're the newcomers. We're the ones who have found truth in it and now saying, take us with you. And one of the things I'd like to add is, there's two kind of ways to take this bit where it says uh, 10 people will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. You could take the kind of a general sense that it's kind of, as I, as I say, a, uh, a 10 for one. So for every two Jews, there's 20 Gentiles, something like that. But I'm more inclined to see this as that one Jew, not being a generic a Jew, but a specific, many Gentiles are going to grab onto one Jew and say to him, let us go with you. I think this is a prophecy of Jesus, the true Jew, the most faithful Jew, the one who has drawn the Gentiles in. It's as though this picture is us grabbing onto the sleeve of Jesus, like the woman with the issue of blood, and putting our faith in him, saying, we want to come with you. We want to be found in you. And certainly that's what the ministry of Jesus achieves. Before Jesus, as I say, we have uh, enough uh, Gentiles coming into the uh, into God's people, you can count on one hand. After Jesus, you're going to need a whole lot of hands to count that many. Jesus is that one Jew who we are latching onto. Now, just before we finish, I'd just like to make a point about how this should set hope, really. And it's kind of a general lesson, because when the people returning from exile got prophecies like this, bear in mind they are building the second temple at the moment. When you get to Jesus's day and the second temple is there in, in all its majesty, one of the biggest differences between the second temple and the first temple is what they call the court of the Gentiles, the bit where people from the nations could come into it. And it was huge. It was massive. It was bigger than the, any other part of the temple complex. Why did they build such a massive court of the Gentiles? Because prophecies like this told them they should. They should be prepared for many to flow in. And so they needed to build the infrastructure. If you're building a new town, for instance, and uh, the government let you know that there are going to be, you know, millions of people coming to live in this town, 
You're gonna to need to make sure that the roads are big enough to take all the cars, there's enough housing. You're not just gonna build a little hamlet and say, well, we'll hope that will do. The expectation determines what you build. And so this massive court of the Gentiles, this infrastructure is built because of the hope from prophecies like this, because of the expectation that God's given. If you go to a lot of old English church buildings, even ones in small towns, you might walk in and you go, this is massive. And I think I think our inclination is to go, man, a few hundred years ago, this would have been full. And it's not true. They never were full. They were built with the same hope. One day, everyone is going to flow in. God is going to draw people in. And so we want to build church buildings with infrastructure to look forward to that day. It's like future-proofing. It's being stirred by the excitement of what God is going to do in the future. And I think not just in the terms of not just in terms of buildings that we build, church buildings, temples, whatever. I think just small things in life really should have that same kind of theme to them, that same thinking of what expectation has God given me in life? What infrastructure should I build there in place? Think of things like how we raise our children. I think that's a big one. How are we setting our hope in what God uh, promises or expects or blesses? And as I say, there'll be so many areas that we can apply this to. I'm not going to go through a list, but I think I'll, I'll leave that with you to think about. Which areas in your life has God given you expectation? Where does his word give a, a promise of a blessing that even though it seems far off, even if it seems like it's not going to happen, that you can establish infrastructure, that you can build with expectation of, just like they did. And so as I wrap up, Let's just be reminded, clearly God is faithful to his promises because we are those 10 Gentiles grabbing onto the, the sleeve of that one Jew, Jesus Christ, and saying, please let us walk with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've drawn us into God's people. We thank you that you have established us as your true Israel. Lord, we pray that we would build in our lives, build infrastructure that that looks forward to the hope that you have set before us. We can do this by your spirit, we pray. Amen.